morning. I'll be looking at two passages this morning. The first coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies neat seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The second reading comes from Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you, little, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to be God. To God. Uh, let me pray as we begin. Lord, as we read your word today, let us hear your voice speaking to us. Open our hearts to what you desire for us, so that we can know you more deeply and live our lives for your glory. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. If I've never met you before, my name is Andy, or as the Order of Service says, the more formal Andrew. I am the music director of this parish and a lay minister here, and it is my joy to bring you God's Word this morning. Uh, it's nice to be wearing a different hat for once. Normally, I'm playing music and worshipping God through that way, but today, I get the honour of bringing you His Word. And we're beginning a new series today called The Secret Life. Uh, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, and these chapters in Matthew are a crucial teaching point for Jesus to his disciples. What has come directly before this section has parts that might be familiar to some of us, uh, because some of it's made into mainstream media. But in Matthew 6, Jesus gives his disciples very practical words to live by, and because we are able to overhear them, words for us to live by also. Now, today we're going to be focusing on the first four verses of what was read out, not the entire chapter, you'll be glad to know, uh, because Jesus wants his disciples to know the importance of giving in secret. Now, on a first reading of this passage, it seems to be talking a lot about people's perception of us and how much we want people to like us. And we do, don't we? I know I do. I mean, we want those around us to see us as good people maybe a little bit better than we really are, and definitely not as a fallen, sinful person. Well, why do we care so much about what people think about us? And we change our behavior to show people that we are good in the way that we talk, the way that we act, and we try and persuade people's opinion of us. And for some reason, it really matters to us. And for example, as I stand before you all today, part of me is hoping that you all like what I'm going to say. That you're going to tell me that I did a good job. That you're going to think that I know what I'm doing. And I'm wearing a suit today. I don't normally wear a suit, but I'm, I'm wearing this slightly to impress you all and to make it seem a bit more like I belong here. And thank you to everyone who's commented on my suit. <laughs> I appreciate those words. 
Because what you think of me matters to me. But when I think about it, should it? But I'm not really here to talk about why people like me or not, but to talk about what this passage is really getting at. Giving. And how to do it Jesus' way. So let's get down to business. According to Forbes, in 2017, there were three charitable donations that were over $1 billion. That's $1 billion US. And the largest was from Bill and Melinda Gates, who gave $4.6 billion to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which focuses its philanthropic efforts on health, development, and education the world over. That's an astronomical amount of money, isn't it? But we love hearing about it. So here is one of the richest couples in the world giving huge amounts of money, which is nowhere close to their net worth, to help the poor and the needy in the world. They are giving to help the world be a better place for everyone. And that warms our hearts a bit, doesn't it? We love knowing that there are people out there who are helping the needy. Now, is that because we know that there are millions of people in the world that need help and we don't know how to help them ourselves? Or maybe we think that we can't actually make a difference. Well, whatever the answer, God is clear that we as Christians should help the needy. It's a responsibility as children of God. Now, I'm going to break this passage down into four parts and they're in your outlines on page eight. Firstly, the principle... Secondly, the problem. Thirdly, the solution. And lastly, the motivation. So the principle, not only of this passage, but of the first few sections of the chapter, is shown in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So it's a principle and a warning. The disciples are told to practice righteousness which means to act in a way that glorifies God. Looking back to the last verse of chapter 5, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So righteousness here refers to practical godliness, right living in the world according to God. And the principle connects righteousness with intention. It tells us that we are to avoid doing religious acts to impress people because God won't reward these acts. In other words, Jesus is commanding us to be genuine. And not just in giving, but in prayer and fasting. But we'll get to those in the next few weeks. Now, the warning here is important to remember, and it's something that we'll come back to later on. If you choose to practice your righteousness, to show the outworking of your faith in front of others for your own glory, then God will not reward you for those actions. Now, Jesus isn't beating around the bush here. This is hugely important and a warning that we all must pay attention to. So what's the problem? What is happening that causes Jesus to teach his disciples about giving? Well, the answer is there are people who are giving to be seen. Verse 2 says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. This is a pretty interesting verse. Did you notice the assumption that Jesus makes at the start? 
Did you pick it up? Jesus says, when you give to the needy. Not if you decide to give to the needy. Jesus is directing his disciples to give. And it seems that giving to the needy wasn't a problem in Israel at the time. Jesus tells them to not give to the needy as the hypocrites do. Now, I don't know about you, but I had a pretty great image in my mind when I read this verse. When Jesus says not to announce your giving with trumpets, I pictured someone walking down the street behind a huge marching band with trumpets and trombones and sousaphones, which are those marching tuba things, and drums, and a guy at the front twirling his baton. And behind the marching band is someone walking with a massive novelty-sized check, parading down the street to the local church or refuge for rough sleepers, drawing as much attention as possible to what they're doing. It's a pretty egotistical action. The idea that you can put a parade together for yourself to show everyone how generous you are, to show how great you are, to make sure everyone knows that this donation came from you. It's one of the most selfish, selfless acts I can think of. To be giving to the needy is good. To give to the needy so that everyone can think that you're so good for giving to the needy is a problem. It's a huge problem. But the problem isn't giving. The problem is pride. Well, what is pride? Well, pride is an inversion and distortion of our right relationship with God. Instead of recognizing that everything we have, our skills, talents, wealth, Everything is a gift given from God to us so that we can glorify him. But we think that we've earned everything for ourselves. We believe that we are in control, that we are the source of the good things in our lives because we have worked hard for it. The job that you are so good at requires skills that you have spent years crafting and perfecting. Pride tells you that you deserve all that you have. And that is when we have put ourselves in the place of God, who is the one who gives us everything. And God hates pride. He hates it. And he tells us that. Proverbs chapter 8, 13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, All of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And pride can look different for each of us and it's something that we're all going to struggle with. Now, for me, I used to feel a lot of pride about my musical abilities. I love playing the drums and I'll accept all of your drummers aren't musicians jokes after the service. Uh, But I really love playing the drums and it helps that I'm pretty good at playing the drums. I've been blessed by God with the ability to play them well and to not need to practice lots to do that. And it's always been the case, as my parents will be able to attest to, and they're over here, and they'll tell you later how much I dislike practice. Um, I've always known I had a natural talent for music, but what I know now about my talents being a blessing from God wasn't always the case. I've been playing music at church since I was 14. Uh, There's nothing that makes you feel as good in my experience, as playing good music. 
And the best part about it is when people tell you how good it was. I used to love that. I used to love that people would love how I played. When they comment on a drum fill, it made me feel great. But what was I really doing? I was coming to church, thinking that I was serving my brothers and sisters, but desperate for people to tell me how good I was in my serving. But I wasn't serving them. I was serving myself, my ego, my pride, my self-worth. I was seeking the glory that belongs to God alone. And you can put it down to being a teenager, to immaturity, to not understanding the Bible as well as I do now, but it's still a feeling that gnaws at the back of my mind. It's a constant. It's a struggle. And I know that I'm not alone in that. Now, thankfully for me, this sense of pride has mostly been put to the side, and not because I don't want praise, because I still do, but because I know who the praise truly belongs to. I know that though the devil tempts me with glory, that glory belongs to God. And I serve here every week to bring that glory to God and to help you all do the same. See, this is what Jesus is talking about. I mean, the giving that I do in this way isn't in secret, but the motivation is the same, to not give my gifts for my own benefit. Jesus says that for those who practice their righteousness through giving publicly, by calling attention to themselves, have received their reward in full. And the reward they get for this action is a heightened feeling of self-worth, a feeding of the ego, of, of self-importance. These feelings are fleeting, and soon enough, they'll need to be fed again. And it's a disastrous cycle. The need to be gratified, to keep having to have people think well of you, to think that you're better than what you are, is an exhausting process, and it has no lasting benefit. But that is the reward that they bring on themselves when they do not give for God's glory, but their own. So what's the solution? Well, verses 3 to 4a, but when you give to the needy, again, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. The solution to prideful giving is to give in front of no one but God. To give, even though part of you would really like for someone, anyone, to know that you're doing it. To be so secretive that as you give with your right hand, your left is completely unaware of what is happening. That's a pretty strange thing to think about, isn't it? To be able to separate your left and right sides so they don't know what's going on. I mean, the more that I think about it, the more it's a, it's a liberating mystery. I mean, it seems impossible. Though I imagine with enough training, it might be achievable. But be careful how you read this verse. The solution to prideful giving isn't to stop giving. And I want to be clear on this point. It isn't to not give, but to give selflessly. To give because you want to glorify God. To give in spite of your own pride. And in fact, a really handy way to remove pride from our giving is to remember where our wealth came from. James, Jesus' brother, tells us as much in chapter 1 of his letter. He says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, 
who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So all of our wealth, our treasures, our gifts are all a gift from God, given to us to be used for his glory. And when we think about giving to the needy, whether it be a charity or a church or a person living on the margins, how often do you think about where your money has come from? Do you think about how long you worked for to earn it? Or perhaps what else you had that money earmarked for? For many of us, we balk at the idea of giving our money. We ask the question, how much do I want to give up? Rather than, how much do I want to bless those who need? And that's a stark difference. But it's a good way to think about it. We're not giving up what is rightfully ours, but using what God has given us for what he intended it to be used for. And while I can't argue that the money we all have hasn't been earned through hard work, because of course it has, we must continue to recognize that it's only through God's blessing us with gifts that we can have these jobs at all. The money we have has been given to us by God, and we should think about using it for what he intended. Now, some, of course, is needed for us to live our lives for food and shelter and safety, but God has placed us in one of the most affluent countries in the world, in a very affluent city, for a purpose. Surely part of that is to use our money to help those who are in need. And so why all this? What's our motivation to be? Well, the end of verse 4. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is our motivation. This is our reason for being obedient to Him who is the source of our salvation. See, He asks it of us. He asks it of us, and he will reward us. And the reward is not like the earthly reward of feeling good about ourselves for doing good, but is eternal. And this section in Matthew is not the only part of the Bible that God calls Israel, and therefore us, by extension, to give and to be generous to the needy. God commands Israel in Deuteronomy 15 to act in this way. God says, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Or even as we read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. A cheerful giver. Now, what a wonderful phrase. God loves a cheerful giver. Is that what you are? Are you happy to give? Or do you feel like it's something you have to do, but you really don't want to? A cheerful giver will be rewarded by God. And reward here doesn't mean a thing given after a good deed like 
getting a reward for returning someone's lost phone? Reward here means the approval and joy of our God, and it's not hard to imagine that this reward will be amazing. God, who has already blessed us with so much, will give us even more in abundance if we do what he commands. And we can see in John's Gospel where this is spelled out more clearly. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 21, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And again in John chapter 15, verses 10 to 11, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's a reward worth obeying God's commands, a reward that we should not even consider forfeiting for what we can gain in the here and now. Now, I said at the top of my sermon, this passage seemed to be about people's perceptions of us and giving. And in fact, that's not, it's not quite true, though they certainly are mentioned. At the core of this passage are the twin pillars of pride and obedience. And pride and obedience cannot coexist. And so you have to make a choice between obeying God's commands and living to please Him, which involves giving for His glory, or living for our own pride and glorifying ourselves. And the example we have to follow makes that choice seem so simple. We only need to look at Jesus, who gave his life for us to be in a right relationship with God. He was nailed to a cross, and not because he wanted people to see what he was doing and think that he was great, but because it was the only way for us to come to know God. No one knew what he was doing except God alone. But because he did this, because he gave his life for us, we can be right with God. And so we can follow the model of Jesus as our new motivation in giving. So what does all of this mean for us? Well, at Churchill, there are a few things we can be doing to be giving to the needy while making sure we're motivated by selflessness. Our City Care Lunch is a really practical way to be serving the needy in our city. Whether it's through donating food or clothing or your time and conversation, This is the most direct way to help the people who live on our doorstep. If you've never given to City Care in some way, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, As someone who really struggled to put myself out there to help, it was nowhere near as difficult as I imagined it in my mind. Uh, At Churchill, the vast majority of our giving is done online. Uh, We still pass the offertory bag around at a few services like we will this morning, uh, but we don't do it at all our services. And this is a way that you can be giving without people seeing you do it. A very easy way to take that part of pride out of the equation. We also have a ministry called Act 6. Uh, If you've never heard of it, Act 6 is a ministry for people who are in need of temporary financial assistance or practical care, which is beyond what we can provide in our community groups. It's funded by us, the Churchill community, and it's for our people who are in need. And that might be you. And if it is you, and you do need help, please come and talk to myself 
or Ray after the service, uh, we'd love to get you involved in this ministry. We talk a lot about our treasures, time and talents in terms of giving here at church. And this morning I've talked a fair amount about treasures, our wealth, uh, but this can extend into how we serve each other here at church. I'd love to see more of our community involved in serving each other, to be helping those who are not just in need of financial assistance, but maybe they're in need of, of company, or maybe need some help doing a task. Even during our services every Sunday, we can be, be giving our time and the talents God has blessed us with to glorify Him. Now, for me, serving through music is a way that God has gifted me to bring glory to His name. And He's done so in a way that helps me leave pride out of the equation. Now, most of you know I play guitar most Sunday mornings here, not this morning, I'm giving my fingers a break. Uh, but playing guitar most weeks for me is not overly enjoyable. It's not my passion. Uh, I gain no real joy through the act of playing. But God has given me the ability to play well enough to be of use here at 1015 every week, to help you, my brothers and sisters, bring praises to his name. Now, I can take no pride in my guitar playing abilities because they're not very good, but I love to bring glory to God through that simple action. So what can you do? to be giving to the needy in your life? What does it look like for you to give selflessly, for no earthly gratification, but because God has commanded it from you? It's worth taking the time to assess your life, where your time, talents, and treasures are being used, and to honestly think about who you are serving through what you do. Is it God? If it's not it might be time to reassess what you're doing because the reward for being obedient to him is far greater than anything you can gain on this earth. Let me pray to close. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the example of selfless giving that we have in Jesus on the cross. I pray that we as your children can be giving to those in need in our lives for the sake of your glory and your glory alone. Please give us the opportunity this week to look at our own lives, to make sure that our motivation for giving is because we love you and want to live as you want us to. Lord, in all that we do, we want to bring glory to your name because you are the one who has given us all that we have and need. I pray that we will be constantly reminded this week as we go back out into your world that you are our provider and everything we have is to bring glory to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.